Morning. I don't know if you uh, got the good news there. Uh, Doug mentioned it briefly in his prayer at the end of the songs. Um, Yusuf Nadarkani, uh, the pastor that's listed in your bulletin. Open your bulletin. On the right-hand side, at the very bottom, second from the bottom on our prayer requests. This has been on our bulletin for almost three years. It's a, it reads, provision of religious liberty in the world. We're praying for the provision of religious liberty in the world. In North Korea, Syria, Egypt, and especially Iran, where Yusuf Nadarkhani faces execution for his beliefs. And in parentheses there, September 8, court date. Well, today is September 9, and I'm very pleased to announce that uh, yesterday, actually 48 hours ago, um, Iran released Pastor Yusuf Nadarkhani and uh, dropped all charges against him. Amen? It's incredible. Uh, in fact, they, did, they didn't drop the charges. They, they considered it time served. They took uh, what was the charge of uh, speaking blasphemy against Islam or converting to Islam, and that carried with it a death sentence. And they converted the charge uh, to proselytizing to Muslims, which carried with it a three-year sentence, which in fact Yusuf had, had actually already served those three years. And so he was released uh, just 48 hours ago. And uh, he was a symbol, a symbol of the persecuted church. Amen? And uh, we, we looked at this man, we prayed for him for years, uh, and, and now he's been released and it is just... It's a moment where we should rejoice as a church. Where we should just be thanking God for what a miraculous event this is. I mean, it wasn't even months ago that we thought He was surely, surely days from execution. And God has intervened through the prayer of His saints, through political action, uh, through the work of many, and uh, not least your prayers. So I want to thank you and praise God for it. We also have good news, too. Our school, Sunnybrook Christian School, received a very distinct award. They received the National Blue Ribbon Award. Yes, very awesome. And just so you know, that is, that is wildly rare. Uh, the National Blue Ribbon Schools program honors public and private schools that are academically superior in their states. Nationally, 219 public schools and only 50 private schools we're honored with blue ribbons this year. So congratulations. In fact, if you are an employee, a teacher, or on staff in administration at Stony Brook, would you please stand? We want to just recognize you. Congratulations, Marilyn, Lloyd, Doug. It's a real big accomplishment. Congratulations. Let's all stand together and let's pray, okay? Let's pray together. Father God, we, we just start this moment now giving You praise and thanks. We cannot believe, Lord. Well, actually we can, because You're the God of the impossible. That Pastor Yusuf Nadarkhani has been released. And God, You know He has been a symbol of all those around the world who are persecuted because of their faith. Whatever faith that might be. And Lord... Now, you've released this man and demonstrated that the prayers of your saints and the work of so many 
people and organizations has caught your ear. And Lord, you've seen fit to work his release. We thank you for it, God. We praise you. We pray now, Lord, that the Christian church would be bolstered by this, especially in Iran, that they would know assuredly that it is you who has done this and that you would begin to deconstruct the powers of darkness in Iran and around the world that seek to hamper those who name the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that this would spark a revival in Iran and in so many places, and it would also, God, spark perseverance as those who are imprisoned, who are persecuted, who are in hostile environments because of their faith, that they would look at this man and his story and know that they can stay the course. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Even for the, the, the praises here locally with Stony Brook and this award. We pray that, that, that this award would bring recognition to this school and that the school would then bring recognition to you. That's what we're all about here, Lord, is just to look to you and bring you all the honor and all the glory. May that be done now as we carry out the rest of this gathering. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians uh, 14. 1 Corinthians 14. I'd like everybody to turn there. Uh, and we're only going to be there briefly. In fact, I'm only going to be speaking uh, briefly this morning. And I want to um, try something a little bit new and unique today. But uh, turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Today's message is uh, supposed to be, it was, was uh, scheduled to be, uh, part two of the series entitled How to Church. We're using the word church there as a verb, uh, much like uh, uh, we would uh, a company name that's a verb, like Xerox or uh, uh, Google. I googled it. Sometimes you take nouns or, or, or organizational names and turn them into verbs. Jesus always wanted the church to be a verb. He always wanted the church to be a place of action. And today was going to be part two of my message on how to church along the theme of what's my purpose in coming here on Sunday? What is my role walking through these doors and sitting down in this, these pews? What am I supposed to do here? Why do I come here? At 10 o'clock every Sunday. What is my role? What is my duty? What is my purpose in being here? And here's the sermon that I was going to preach. It's, uh, I believe, six pages long, which means about 40 minutes. Seven pages is about 45 to 50 minutes. I know it's a little long when it's seven pages, but six pages is about right. Here's the sermon that I was going to preach. And it was a sermon that I had prepared and was ready for and I'm looking at now. It was neatly packaged. It had six very, very compelling points, I'll tell you. These points were just waiting to be distributed beautifully through online PowerPoint presentations, animations that would ooh and awe you, a video that would draw a tear, some jokes that would make you laugh heartily, for you know your pastor is funny. But sometime late Saturday, 
I began growing very uh, discontent with these pages. I began growing very discontent about the manner in which uh, I was going to explain how you were to participate on Sunday. It struck me as odd that the way in which, the method in which I was going to urge you to participate on Sunday was by standing up here and for 40 minutes telling you how to participate on Sunday. It didn't quite seem to jive with uh, the theme and uh, the point that I was hoping that we would drive home today. Somehow 45 minutes of just listening to a pastor just didn't seem like the most effective way to spur on the church's involvement at our scheduled gatherings. And so we look at what the church did 2,000 years ago. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul lets you see, a, a, he gives you a window of what the church gathering looked like. The scheduled gatherings, mind you. The times where they would gather together at appointed times and appointed days, just like you and I are gathering together right now. And this is the window through which we see what the church looked like then. 1 Corinthians 14 beginning in verse 26, Paul writes, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, each of you has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things, all these things, be done for edification, for the building up of the body. He goes on to say in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. These would have been teachers. Speakers in the church. Pastors. Teachers. Let two or three of these prophets speak and let the others judge. Verse 31, For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Not just one man. Not just one pastor. Not just one shepherd but many. Because God's Word doesn't just come through one man to the rest. Instead, verse 36, or did the Word of God come originally from you? No. Or was it, only, uh, or was it you only that it reached? No, Paul is saying. He's asking rhetorical questions. saying, is it, is it only to be one who does all the work of the ministry when we gather? No. Verse 37, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Whoever is to come and edify the church, speak God's Word of truth to the church, lift up the church, build up the church, whoever is to speak in the community, in the gathering, they are to recognize the doctrine of Scripture, Paul says. They are to recognize the teachings of Paul. They are to use carefully, handle carefully the word of truth. And so long as that is their uh, approach, so long as that is the criteria through which they speak words of truth to the congregation, 
we can be secure in what is said. But at times, when you have so many speaking and so many rising up to teach, it can be a little, uh, we can get a little fearful. Maybe someone will say something out of line. Now, that person's not officially paid staff. Maybe this might be a little scary that we're letting anyone stand up and speak the words of the Lord. And so, again, going back to verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Let the church evaluate what is said. Let the church be Bereans going through the Word of God to consider what was said and comparing them with Scripture. Above all, verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. One of the problems in the Corinthian church was that people were rising up left and right. Uh, we were discussing this briefly in our morning uh, prayer time. Uh, I asked Tom to share with the group what, what the early church was like. And Tom uh, very accurately described uh, an early church gathering that was very chaotic, especially the Corinthians. There would be some who would rise up and preach, others who would speak in tongues, others who would prophesy, and so on and so forth. And there was, there was disorder, there was chaos. There wasn't a measure of decency and orderliness to the gathering. And yet, this is how the church operated. In the decades following uh, the death of Christ, uh, the church did not have this. church did not have a formal bulletin. They didn't have PowerPoint slides. The order of service that we read here, that we're very, very comfortable with, because we know where we are. We know about how long it takes to do each of these elements. We check them off. Okay, we're almost done. Almost done. I can, I can smell that sarku at the mall. The early church did not have this. Instead, it was a more fluid gathering. At times, uh, a gathering in which it would be unknown what would be taught that day, but that godly men, particularly older men, elders of the church, those who had been down the road a little bit longer, would rise up and they would speak to the people. They would share from God's Word. They would exhort from their heart how God was speaking to them and what they felt the church needed to hear at that particular moment in time. So there would be people who would come and teach. And then there would be moments in the church uh, gathering where, where they would rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. They would pray for one another. They would consider the needs of the church. Are there any who are hurting? Let's gather around them. Lay hands on them. Are there any who have a praise? Rise up. Come forward. Speak it to the church. Are there some who have physical needs? Please, stick around afterwards. and Let us know what, they, what those needs are that we might help you, might assist you. But it started from the Word. It started from the preaching of the Word, and from there, the life of the community began to bustle. 
The Spirit of God began to descend in a way as the Word of truth was being given to the people. And the church would be in action. It might go 90 minutes like it does here. It might go hours. It might go shorter. It might go longer. But but the point was, the people gathered expecting God to show up and expecting to receive a fresh word from the Lord, from the community of exhorters, from the community of teachers, from the community of shepherds. And so, this Grandparents' Day, I've asked, uh, I've not asked anyone in particular, I've just given an open invitation. And I'm particularly asking the men, the older men of the church, uh, or those at least quasi-old. You may not consider yourself old. I've asked some of the men, if you would, to come forward and to participate, to exhibit this. I want to hear from a, a few of you. And then we want to continue on in the in service. Perhaps going to prayer, going to a time of rejoicing. And I want to have a participatory time together. Amen? I know that Bill, I know you asked to come. So Bill, I'm going to ask you to come first. Would uh, Bill, would you come on forward? and I'm going to bring the pulpit down. In fact, uh, Scott, would you help me bring the pulpit down to the to the people here? That way, you can have a place to put your Bible. Grab the microphone, and now let's hear from uh, let's hear from our good friend Bill Hinckley. Thank you. That's all right. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, well, the, the reason I uh, volunteered is because I was fortunate that just this past week I prepared a, a message to, for basketball. And it's, it runs about 10 minutes or so, so I can just uh, kind of summarize that. Cause I'm, so I'm prepared, you might say. And um, the, the message came about because uh, my wife and I were in uh, uh, Pala for last weekend, staying at the Pala Hotel there. And it's uh, inland from Oceanside, about 23 miles. And uh, Saturday, I went for a walk, and I walked uh, down Pat for a mile and a half or so, and there's a little mission there. It's actually a submission. <laughs> it's a su- submission of San Luis Rey, which is one of the, like San Juan Capistrano mission. But this was a much smaller. But the church was, had a church building 196 years old there. It was narrow, about 30 rows of pews. Pews have six people on each side. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the thing that interested me was the tombstones. I went out to their cemetery and I was looking at the tombstones. And I, uh, one particularly caught my attention. I even copied down what it said. It was a poem written by a young man uh, before, he, before he died. And it, I haven't memorized it, but it initially he talked about... Uh, don't don't be sorry for him. Don't feel bad about him. This this has been a relief because he's, he's had a lot of pain and suffering, and now he's not anymore. And then he said, "I've gone on ahead. I've gone up above." And then he said at the end, "Remember, you have all my love," and that uh, he's he'll be there expecting them soon. And then there was a cross at the bottom of that uh, poem, indicating to me that he believed in Jesus Christ. So I expect to see him there someday. And then there was a, a row of four 
four, four graves. Um, when this man, by the way, died uh, six years ago on September 7th, a week before his 21st birthday. And then there was a row of four graves with their tombstones. And these men are all born 1910, 1920 in that range. They were all over 80 years old. They were missionary men, Catholic priests, who had uh, served there much of that time, I imagine. And uh, one, that, one tombstone there caught my attention, too. It was a quotation from John chapter 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. So this is it's all about Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, He who believes in me has everlasting life. But why should someone believe in Jesus? Well, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God sent his only begotten Son to come to the earth, go to the cross, and pay the penalty for all of our sins. He accomplished that mission. When he finished it, he died. He said, it is finished. And he died. They buried him. Three days later, he was resurrected. That's the big deal that gets our attention. If he wasn't resurrected, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> and uh, and he, he walked the earth for 40 days. And he was seen by many believers and with many infallible proofs, as it says in Acts chapter 1, for 40 days. And uh, the apostles, of course, 12 apostles, they saw him. And then uh, he was seen by over 500 believers at one time. And more than half of them were still alive 25 years later. So there was plenty of witnesses that saw him resurrected. And no wonder the church kept growing. No wonder the, the uh, disciples came back together after they saw him. And they were no longer fearful. They didn't have to hide behind locked doors anymore because they saw the resurrected Jesus. And the church grew. Acts is a testimony of the, the first 27 years, snapshots of it. Highlights on what Peter did, what he said, and what Paul did, and what he said, and how the church uh, was churches were planted all over the Roman Empire. The record of those by Paul. So we have the evidence and who he is, why we should believe in him. But what should we believe in him for? He said, "I am the resurrection and the life." He said, he who believes in me has everlasting life. We, should, we believe in him. We should believe his message. He said to a very religious man, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we should tell people about that. And why should we tell people about that? Well, one day we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll be evaluated what we've done, whether we've done good or bad. And uh, I want to read one passage on that judgment seat of Christ from Corinthians, by the way. Second, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Yeah. Paul wrote this letter, of course, to the believers. He was writing to believers, those in the church at Corinth. And uh, let me see, starting at verse 6. So we are always confident 
knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to, the, to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. So knowing the fear of the Lord, they persuade men. And verse 20, there's a section in there that, where he said at the end of verse 20, he says, we implore on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. They, they try to praise, persuade men of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for them, that they too might be children of God through faith in Christ. And seeing those tombstones, I saw the one last witness we can have is what we write on our tombstone. So it occurred to me, well, if I chose today, what would I write on that tombstone? I thought of John 11:25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Thank you. Good word from the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Move this out of the way. Ray, would you like to speak? Come on up. And Neil, Neil mentioned earlier that he might ask a few of the old men in the church to come up and say something. And I said, uh, Pastor Neil, I don't, I don't feel very old, but he goes, don't worry, you are. <laughs> Anyhow, first... <laughs> He meant it in a nice way, though. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just a few things. I was just, as Neil was talking in the service earlier, just things come to my mind as he's speaking. And normally we're back there listening or half, sometimes I'm half sleeping. I take his blood pressure medication. But, you know, we, I am getting older. Do you know when, it, when you think about it, I'm almost 60. I'm three quarters of the way there now. Because the Bible says if, you're, if you do well and you toil and you struggle, you may live to be 80 years old now. So I'm three-quarters of the way, and I'm thinking about that. No wonder my knees hurt at night. You know, I lay there, and I try to go to bed, and, you know, all these, you just don't have the strength that you did when you were, you were really young. But it doesn't matter. We're going to have a new body someday. I'm looking forward to that. But in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, as Neil was talking in chapter 14, my mind went to chapter 15. Look at chapter 15 for a second here. It says, Moreover, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you which also you received, in which you stand, in which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed it for nothing. So Paul says here, hold fast to the gospel. And one of the reasons why my wife and I and, and our family have been coming to Coast Bible Church for about 15 years now is because Coast Bible Church believes in the gospel message as being the simple message of Christ. Look at 3 and 4. Paul says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, 
and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You know, what's interesting here is Paul doesn't start saying, hey, uh, according to the, to the scriptures, the gospel is you, you've got to turn your life around. You've got to join a church. You've got to be willing to forsake your, you know, all these things that, uh, that you, know, you think you have to do to become a Christian. I was listening to the radio a couple weeks ago, and this very famous preacher was given, he was on, on the, on the uh, fish station, and he was given the invitation to come to know Christ as your Savior. Do you know that he gave, I don't want to mention any names because it doesn't really matter, but the point is that he gave like seven, seven or eight different steps to know that you're a Christian. And that you had to be willing to, to declare it publicly. You had to be willing to be a disciple. You had to be willing to, to you know, turn your life around. And he went on and on and on. And I got to thinking, boy, that's how you get our church to grow really big. Let's change the gospel. Let's make the gospel. Let's bring people in here and tell them you've got to turn your life around. You've got to be willing to forsake all your sins and, and just make a big list up. And that's what probably nine out of ten churches do today. And you wonder why, you know, you see them on Sunday morning, they have, they're busting out the seams. Well, if Pastor Neil changed the gospel, we'd probably do that too. But you know what? I think I'd rather stay true to the Word of God and just teach the simple truth of the gospel. Christ died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And simple faith in Christ gives you eternal life. To me, that's good news. I mean, when I listened to this guy on the radio, I got to thinking, man, I'm afraid to be, I would be afraid to be a Christian if he had that many things I got to do, I probably wouldn't make it. I'd probably blow something, and next thing you know, I'd be on my way back to hell again, you know? And that's what you, that's the message you get. And then at the end of the chapter here, just, uh, just skip down toward the end here. He says in verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if, you, if we had time to go through this chapter and could spend four hours, like Pastor Neil was saying, he talks about the resurrection and that we're going to be given a new body. He says, he, right before that, he says there's going to be a mystery that we're all not going to be sleeping, but we're going to be made alive, given the trumpet's going to sound, we're going to be changed and given a new body. I can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. And then he says here, uh, for this corrupt, then he says, the sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ overcame the grave, he overcame death, he overcame all these things for us. And that's good news, isn't it? And then he says here in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So it's, we're not doing this for nothing. We're not wasting our time. You know, sometimes we don't feel like getting up and coming to church, you know. Sometimes, like today, I kind of had a blah day. You don't feel very good. But you know what? The truth doesn't change. I come because I know the Lord says we need to fellowship together. The assembling of ourselves together is a lot of fun. Matter of fact, you guys are all family. It's a lot of fun. So, okay. Thank you. I'm reminded of uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, do you know it? Let's say it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Did I botch it? Okay, good. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Not by works. Not by works. 
You've been saved by simple faith in Jesus Christ. I love the, the band that we have. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's why it's up there. Thank you, Ray. Is there another uh, word of exhortation or encouragement? Mike. You've got your Bibles there. Um, you go to James chapter 3, verses, verses 3 to 10. I'd like to start there. James chapter 3, verses 3 to 10. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course on his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. I've been kind of dealing with um, uh, just feelings, and many of you know that my middle daughter is going through a broken relationship, and I have some not so nice things to think about my, my former son-in-law. And, um, but I just, uh, I, 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 the word that I want to give is that before you put something out and speak that venom that you might feel in your heart or send out an email that you might be going through maybe with a family member, that you, you just don't do it. You, you think about what the Lord would have you do and um, better to say nothing than to say something that you're going to regret. And um, I also just have a praise. Um, this has been a really uh, special week for Sue and I with, with um, seeing now three grandchildren at Stony Brook Christian School because uh, my middle daughter is now down here in Orange County. And uh, both kids are going to be in Christian school. And we have five grandchildren that that are real nearby, close by, and it's just been a real special week. And as a first-year retiree, um, I've gotten a chance to be at the school, to pick up kids, to be involved in their lives. And, um, you know, it's, I, I know that this is why the Lord has made this time of my life, to, to be there as a safety net for, for things that just don't go the way that you would like them to go. A great reminder. Watch our tongue. Glenn. Thank you, Neil. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Neil had made mention of this before the service today. And um, I had anticipated having to get up after Bill and Ray and Mike. They're all men of God. 
And, you know, it's interesting because my wife and I talk about this sometimes, how the church has come to be as it is. And it just occurred to me that God prepares families for different things, much as Mike has said. There are no mistakes with God. There are no unknown things to him. And when I look around the, the room here and up on the stage, you know, the people playing, Stella and Scott, oh my gosh, everybody, really. I think God prepared this family, prepared those kids, prepared each of you as part of the family that Coast is. If you read through almost anything in, in the scripture that's written by Paul, he constantly talks about brothers. And you can also read sisters there. So he's really talking about a family. I have a brother and a sister both, and I have to tell you that, yes, they are both saved, but I think of you as my brothers and sisters also. I don't think that God creates groups like this at random. He has a job for each person here. It may not be initially to our liking. We may think to ourselves, no, God, that can't possibly be for us. I know I've been through that where (laughs) I was called to do things that I felt very ill-prepared to do. But the point is, I think that God decides for you at this time, this is how I want you to deal with this family. I've known many of the people here for 20 years. Some of them were just children when we were first here. I look at Amy. Amy was just a little girl when we first came. Sweet little girl. Now she's running Awana. You look at that, you know that as a child, she can't possibly imagine, someday I'm going to be running a wana. No, but God prepared her in a unique way, just as he's prepared each of you in a unique way. Your experiences are different from my experiences, as they are different from the person sitting next to you. God will use every one of those experiences, every one of your lives, to advance his kingdom. And it may not be something that you see overtly here. It may be something where you meet somebody on the street or you have a child that's going through problems and you say a word to them that God has put in your heart. All of a sudden, That person may have heard that word a thousand times before. And this one time, this one time, they go, wow, that's what God wants me to do. It has impact. And I think that God has prepared this family to have impact on the neighborhood. Not just the neighborhood, but the world. I mean, we have Mike and Carrier dealing with folks in Haiti. Many of you have gone to Haiti. Twenty years ago, you would have looked at yourself in the mirror and said, there's no way I'm going to be doing this. It just isn't going to happen. But you know what? 
God works in mysterious ways. If you don't believe it, just look at your children. Then you'll really see the miracle that God has created in your own life. I would just encourage you all to remember that this is your family. We are as close as your own children or as your own parents. And I really think that that is one of the strong points that the ministry here, Neil, Arch, before, they really emphasize that, that this is here to support each other, to hold up your brothers and sisters. I think that if you take that to heart and you deal with it that way in your own life, it will help you to control your tongue. I also think it will help you to encourage others. Because the tongue can not only be evil, but it can also give truth. So I would just encourage every one of you to look for that spot in your own life, how God can use you with the people around you. If nothing else, your children. And that is a huge, I think that's a huge undertaking. I know it's been a huge undertaking for me. And I would just encourage you all to pray about it because I guarantee God has something special for you in this church. Thank you. I don't know if there's any others. There's no other old people. Uh, Glenn brought up uh, just parenting and whatnot. I just want to, uh, I just feel compelled also to just uh, just encourage all the parents in this room and the grandparents to watch over the parents. We really need your wisdom. Uh, raising a family in South Orange County in this day and age is incredibly difficult. Um, I've spoken with many of the grandparents here. And I've asked them, do you think it's harder today than it was when you were raising kids? And every single one of them, to a man and woman, say, absolutely. Um, So the parents, you parents, myself included, you're doing a good work. Stay the course. Keep your kids grounded in the Word. Seek out adopted grandparents here if your children don't have any nearby. How about some praises? Are there a few of you, just maybe four or five of you, that want to stand up right where you are and give us a quick praise? Something that God is doing in your life recently that is just miraculous. Would you stand right now and just shout it out? A praise. I know there is one. Tom. Right. Praise God. If you could, if you could not, if you could not hear, uh, Tom is giving praise for a recent job that his wife has received, uh, which kept him from having to live at home with mom and dad. That's a big praise. Another praise. Colleen, let me give you the mic. I want to thank everyone that's been praying for Dave's uh, identical twin brother. When we first uh, found out that he had uh, kidney cancer in both kidneys and we were doing our research online, um, it looked very bad. It looked like he had months to live. And uh, 
They uh, are both Christians. Danny was a missionary, but they went back to NIH uh, at Bethesda, Maryland, and, and Houston, Ander- uh, MD Anderson in Houston. And there's just some new cutting-edge things that they're doing for kidney cancer. And uh, Dave and I went up there in July to see him. He, he'd been losing weight, and they put him on this very special targeted chemotherapy. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we got the phone call that the first scan showed that the tumors are shrinking. He's feeling better. He's, he's not losing weight anymore. So we're just really, really praising the Lord. And, and pray, we, we pray that we have continued uh, healing for him, too. Awesome. Thank you, Colleen. A few others. Any praises? We have been sitting behind at the Angel, I don't know why, at Angel Stadium for how many years, Jen? Like seven, eight years. Who was an infertility doctor. And uh, we just started the process of uh, just giving it over to God that he might bring us a little child. And it would have been almost a little over three years of us trying. And uh, as you can see, here's my little praise in my hand right now. Amen. <laughs> Huge praise. And I know uh, we, we, we underestimate how many couples go through that challenge. And uh, let this baby be a source of encouragement for those that do. God is with us. A couple other pra- praises. Well, um, we haven't been able to get back to everybody, but on Sunday we had a little bit of an accident here at the church, and um, it was a joy to see everybody come together. We ended up at the ER room, um, and luckily there wasn't any issues when Elijah hit his head here, so that was a huge praise for us, but um, as we weren't able to get back to everybody, it's a big thank you for us too. We don't have a whole lot of family here. And everybody pitched in. We were able to drop the kids off with somebody. We were able to spend time with Elijah. We got back. And they, luckily, there weren't any major issues as it happened. So, All right. And how about uh, just a few prayer requests? Anything that's uh, heavy on your heart that you're willing to share that we can pray for? Great. It's, it's, it's also more of a thanksgiving, too, as well as prayer request. But had a wonderful summer ministering in Russia and um, was invited by my friend uh, Sam and his wife Marina to help with the church youth camp in Moscow uh, for Moscow Bible Church. And um, we had a, a group of teenagers that they were uh, counseling during the camp. And one of the girls, her name was Anna, uh, was asking some questions in one of the times we were all together. Uh, she's a, a new believer. She comes from a family that uh, doesn't attend church. She's the only believer in her family. Uh, but she's come, uh, this is like the second time she's come to this camp. And she says, well, I just have a question. If heaven is so great, then what are we doing here in this life? And uh, we had a chance to discuss what, what it means to serve the Lord in this life and to prepare ourselves for serving him in heaven and how important it is to, to uh, serve the Lord in, in uh, good works and, and uh, to, to be faithful. And uh, at the end of the camp, several of the kids wrote little notes to different people, including myself, and she had written how much she had enjoyed being in the group, how much she appreciated it beyond words that she could explain, um, and that uh, we had really helped her re-understand her life and the meaning of her life. 
And so I just want to praise the Lord for that and ask you to pray for her and for several of these kids that, uh, that the church has been ministering to. Some of them come from families that don't go to church regularly, but they come to this camp every year. What's her name again? Okay, we'll pray for Anna in just a moment. One or two other requests? I know there are some unnamed requests out there today. Uh, I read a statistic um, through the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, actually. And uh, he, in this article, it indicated that out of 100 or so people in the United States of America today, out of every 100 people, eight of them are depressed um, in varying degrees. And uh, I know that uh, there are some in our families, uh, there are some probably here, uh, that are just hurting and burdened, uh, family members who are really burdened. And so I also want, want to just call upon the Lord for those. Uh, would you stand with me? And I'm asking the worship team to prepare a final song for us. And let's stand and pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, God, we just, we just want to lift up your name right now and call upon you. Because you're the one that we go to, God, when we need help. And uh, we just think of those who are burdened, Lord, who have heavy hearts. Uh, a few in particular uh, come to my mind, Lord, that I know are just incredibly struggling through life. And I, I just pray, God, that you would be the God of hope and peace and comfort. That you would restore to us the reason for our lives. And remind us that our worth is found totally in you. God, I pray that uh, this community here at Coast would be robust and seek out uh, those who are hurting and minister to them and love them and care for them as Jesus would. We think of uh, Patty's uh, aunt who is terminally ill now, Lord. We pray for her healing, but above all, we pray for her spiritual healing, God, that you would allow her to see the truth of Jesus Christ, that you'd use Patty or someone in her family to communicate His love and His truth to her, and that she would turn to Christ in faith. We pray for Craig and his missions uh, throughout the world, and particularly in Russia. We pray for Anna, one of these students, that, that she would draw nearer to You, Lord, and draw deeper into her uh, love for You, for Jesus, her Savior. God, we pray that uh, You would use Craig in a mighty way to affect uh, this young woman's sanctification and others in the English camps uh, in Russia, Lord, that, that would be able to be there for her and answer these questions that are so pressing on her heart. God, we thank you for this gathering now, for the, the, the men who've come forward to speak and uh, who have shared with us words of exhortation. We're encouraged. And now, God, we lift uh, up your name in praise, thanking you, God, for all of our many blessings, not least of which is our salvation. By faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, all God's people said, Amen.